When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You have to blame defund the police because their actual political execution is so sorry and it is so poorly done. We are creating thousands of jobs. I don't ever want to see it again. Buttigieg would be the first openly gay cabinet secretary if confirmed. You're watching MSNBC. Except for the other openly gay cabinet <laughs> secretary, uh, Richard Grinnell, although Buttigieg would be the first one who was, I guess, nominated and confirmed, right? I guess there is a qualifier there. Yeah. But the administration took my advice. I always thought that he should be a front-facing um, personality in the administration. Cabinet post is a is a good idea. He's a talented guy. I... Um, I do. I had mentioned earlier, and we uh, engage with a friend of ours and a Twitter friend, by the way. Mm-hmm. You all can meet her. You can see us uh, engaging here and there, uh, named Toast. And uh, and she um, felt that his resume was... That was her, right? She mm-hmm. felt that... I said that his resume was thin. She thought that he had a good resume, including military time, which he does have some military time. Mm-hmm. But as far as um, political appointments... Uh, he's 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 got no real belt, beltway experience, mm-hmm. and so this uh, does that for him. This will put him uh, in front of uh, in the rubber chicken circuit and in front of uh, ribbon cuttings, and it'll bring him all around the country as Secretary of Transportation. And uh, it's a good it's a good proving ground for him. He's a talented talented guy. Um, I just liked it. I just thought he was good in the last few months as an attack dog. Jumping on Fox News and yeah. scrapping with everybody. And I obviously, I have no belief in common with him politically. I am not a Pete Buttigieg guy. What's- well, he's not for Medicare for all. Okay. So I have I mean, something like- in common with him. <laughs> I mean, he's sort of, I guess he's considered a moderate. 
Although he is for a government healthcare option that would outcompete the private sector and become Medicare for all eventually, but he wants people to choose it through their own free will, supposedly. So yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, in theory, he's considered a moderate by by the left wing of the party. Yeah, and he, and I also just appreciated he was not like Klobuchar. He was a guy with thoughtful. Um, debate skills, thoughtful answers to questions, and a guy who could think on his feet. And it was fun watching the gears turn with him. Where, yeah. where you know, you had just like Shecky Green writing Klobuchar one-liners, which she delivered horribly, consistently. Yeah. It was just terrible. So he's an interesting guy because, like, really, I, the the politicians I like the most. He's a guy who who gives you something new. It's like Chris Christie used to be that way too. He was unlike anybody you know, mm-hmm. for 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 a while there, and uh, there's a few others. Maybe Rand Paul might be one of those who's is truly a kind of interesting cat. Well, he's not a overly pleasant chap. That was a uh, we've interviewed him. I'm not sure Pete Buttigieg is real. I mean, he seems kind of an angry person too. Uh, he may be when he's eating. He is. You see those <laughs> pictures. We should put those pictures up. Yeah, he, maybe he's angry. He was. He did. That does have a manner, an almost Kasich manner of sternly, mm-hmm. sternly uh, condemning you, or not condemning you, or. Um, he does come across like he's condemning you a lot, though. He does yeah. like his delivery tends to be kind of uh, admonishing. Mad. How about that? Uh, yeah. Um, but I anyway. So he's going. He's in the. Um, he's going to be in the Biden administration. I don't think he'll have any trouble. Yeah, he's a good politician. There. That's for sure. And of course, and- nothing is what it is supposed, supposed to be anymore. So the Secretary of Transportation, you'd assume, would be in charge of the infrastructure. And yes, he's doing some of that. But his uh, the uh, breadth of his responsibilities uh, will be a lot wider than just that. He's got a great perspective of a mayor that solves problems and brings people together. He's got a vision. Of a ne- he brought the black population together in South Bend, <laughs> hating him. <laughs> Actually, really, in all the primary states, the <laughs> yeah. black population hated him. He was getting like zero black votes everywhere. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> okay. Next generation leader and they, with experience and the temperament to lead change today. Today. All right. To dig us out of this economic crisis. For example... Helping cities and states to keep transit systems running for frontline and essential workers. Okay. Transit systems running sounds like a Secretary of Transportation thing. Yeah. No problem with that. And tie in the COVID, Mm -hmm. frontline workers, et cetera. Fine. And then helping them modernize their airports, their ports, their railways. Makes totally sense. Still transportation, right? This is what you want them to be doing. (laughs) To attract and retain businesses and workers. Sure. To advance racial equality, racial (laughs) equity. As we build back better, include everyone to deal with the existential threat of climate change oh. with real jobs, not just $15 an hour job, which I'm going to call for universally. That went south quickly. Oh, <sighs> great. Great. That means uh, he's got to be absolutely a true believer in the Green New Deal and sufficiently woked up. And mm-hmm. so... It, you know, the thread through every now department in mm-hmm. every cabinet position is going to include so- social justice uh, or, or at and least the language change. in the symbolic uh, gestures there. And, of course, climate change, which is so freaking – it's so boring. If I could give – if I could give – force people to take the – okay, Rorschach is pictures. Heimlich is for choking – 
What's the one for lying? I don't, I don't know. What's the lie, a lie detector? detector test? Yes, but I it's don't called know. I don't have polygraph. Oh, okay. If I could give everybody the polygraph test, I would ask them exactly how deep into buying all of the climate, um, the the stated climate crisis uh, they'd be. Because it generally doesn't poll all that well. And it's the thing you're supposed to say yes to. Mm-hmm. But there is not one single climate person or, or evangelist for the climate change movement mm-hmm. who's not a huge, rich hypocrite with a gas guzzling everything. And you'd think that if we only have nine years before it's all over, then maybe you and your friends... Would stop jet setting and stop having the 50 million acre house on Martha's Vineyard and all that other stuff. Right. You think somewhere that maybe since, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask. Well, abiding by climate, uh, you know, and carbon um, minimal ventures is something that also that we're supposed to be doing for modeling good behavior. It just doesn't happen. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes to the climate things, people are like, I've got money. I'm going to go out and say it's the end of the world. I am not living in a green modular house that's 10 by 10. I'm living large with a lot of cars. And I'll say the right things and vote for Democrats, but you're not getting me to change my mm-hmm. change my politics. Yeah, and I think that they would argue that that's because the free market has not provided them with energy-efficient alternatives that provide them the same lifestyle that they would otherwise have. The free market has provided them with small houses. We've we just moved from one. But you skipped my qualifier that would provide them with the same lifestyle they would otherwise have. There aren't Oh, the, I see. Yeah. So, they want they'll buy a house that's energy efficient and green and saves the planet if it's the same size and has as many lights and as many garages for their cars and stays as warm in the winter and all that as their house is now. But they're not going to take a hit on lifestyle for that. You know, they'll buy something that's maybe a little more expensive if it's green, but they're not going to actually change the way that they live over it that's that's a bridge too far yeah well i don't know i don't think it um i don't think it helps the cause all that much no i don't think so either but who is really willing to change their lifestyle people rightfully so in my opinion people aren't even willing to pay more for gas i mean high gas prices are one thing you would need to happen to make to fix the climate problem right because that that well, would I mean, internalize yeah. all the externalities of buying um, gas. You know, it would put the costs, the real costs of gas guzzling, onto the user of the gas if the gas were more expensive. So, you know, the this argument is the is, Obama plan. Right. I'm not saying that gas should be more no, expensive, I know. but I'm saying that uh, even though people believe in climate change, quote unquote, they still don't want their gas to be expensive. Which is something that would need to happen. But again, they would argue that that's because they haven't been provided with a cheap alternative that works just as well. That they don't have to plug in every hundred miles or whatever. Um, so, you know, they're... 
there's a belief on the left, I think, that if you just make the federal government pour enough money into it, that they will magically be able to invent technologies that don't currently exist that would make it easy for mm. everybody to go green. You know, that we could get solar panels on every house and have everybody be using the sun's energy instead of uh, fossil fuels to heat their homes and run all their electricity. That everybody could have the cool cars that they want that could go as far as they wanted to if we would just invent the magical way to do that and that that the problem is just that there's a lack of capital and a lack of investment never mind the fact that these companies have been getting investments in the forms of tax breaks for years mm -hmm. i mean tesla's business model wouldn't even be sustainable without the subsidies that they get uh, and look at all the green energy debacles but, that we put money to into tex before to, to tesla's credit they mm -hmm. do have some quality products right they make stuff the cars work, work. but the cars wouldn't be as uh affordable and they're not that affordable but they wouldn't be as affordable as they are without the subsidies that they have and then tesla wouldn't be able to sell enough of them to make ends meet you know so um which is fine but uh the left wants the the idea of the green new deal is a lot doing a lot more of that subsidizing a lot mm -hmm. more pouring that money into uh industries that that don't currently exist in order to make them exist and hopefully that would work and make the world be green, you know? But like, look at Tesla's, look at Tesla's solar roof tiles, right? So this is something we've uh, gone back and forth on in our life because I like the idea of being off grid and having, getting our energy from solar and, you know, not having to rely on the electrical grid more because I'm like a prepper than any other reason, truly. But okay, you know, whatever it takes. Um, but, and every time, but we have a really kind of nice looking, old looking mm -hmm. house, a colonial, and we don't really want to put, well, first of all, we're a little scared that the framing of our house wouldn't hold up if we put a bunch of solar right. panels on our roof. And second of all, we aren't sure that uh, we love the idea of how it looks to have our old colonial covered in solar panels. So every time I say this, people are like, oh, what about Tesla's roof tiles? Because Tesla has a very cool promo video about these tiles that look lovely and look just like regular roof tiles. And it's been out, you know, probably five or 10 years, Tesla's stupid promo video about their solar roof tiles. <laughs> tiles um and and they hold up in all weather and they look just like a normal roof you can't even tell they're mixed in with the regular tiles they cost the same amount as a regular roof and they provide all the energy your home needs um and then you have a tesla battery in your basement and they feed into that so right. you can be off grid all the time the only problem is they don't exist yet Tesla's put a few kind of beta test ones in on a few houses in California, but it's been years. And if right. you want one, the way you go do it is you sign up on their website. You give them $1,000 to hold your place in line for the imaginary technology that does not yet work. And, and then maybe if they get it working and they get enough installers and they're able to do what they he claimed he was going to do in his TED Talk or whatever they call these things where the founders of companies go out and explain what all their new products are then then you know if they ever get to that point then you'll be in line to get it but it doesn't exist and there's no guarantee of when it will ever exist if it does and you know at least apple when they have their presentations about new products that they have coming out like their new six hundred dollar headphones that are over ear headphones um at least those products are things that you can actually go buy the tesla solar roof you can't buy right 
It's pretend. So they're thinking, the left is thinking if we just throw a bunch more money at it, then we can get a bunch of these unicorn magical technologies to exist that will solve all the problems and make the choices easy. And everyone will just be able to go green because it will be cheap and easy and work and be efficient and be such a great investment. But there's no guarantees. Ask anybody who runs a company or anybody who invests in companies, any angel investors or VC investors, there's not a guarantee that just because you throw money at a problem that needs to be solved, that a solution just appears out of the air that solves all the no, trade-offs. there's no guarantee. Well, actually, <laughs> this was solved. You know, this was A lot of this was solved more than 50 years ago when we started using nuclear power. Right. True. But, but the, mm, the crisis is not that dire, apparently, so we can't use nuclear power no, no, because no, no, there no. was an accident in the late 70s and then a movie. And then, uh, you know, an earthquake in Japan broke the other another big nuclear reactor. And then the Russians covered up their idiotic um, mm-hmm. nuclear meltdown. Um, so and all the renewables, the problem is the storage of the energy. There's no that technology isn't there yet either. So you can have windmills going all day and night and, mm-hmm. and the east coast and the west coast but the there's nowhere to, st- to right. store the the energy you create so it's only good while it's windy out there right and you still typically need a bunch of fossil fuels to make all these things right you know and you need for- to create windmills mm-hmm. it takes a whole bunch of steel and you have to drive all these parts up mountains and clear-cut trees that normally would be sucking up carbon out of the air and all this other stuff and it's not clear that windmills uh once you account for everything actually help um, it, during the lifespan of the machinery, it's it's still kind of an up in the air question. So I don't know uh, what the answers to all these things are. Certainly, nuclear would be a good answer if you really think that this is an existential mm-hmm. crisis. There's also some cases out there. Somebody's made the case that um, that overall we'd be better off in terms of cost just to deal with the effects of climate change as they crop up. You know. Oh, Manhattan's going to be underwater. Manhattan is not going to be underwater. I can tell you, there's a lot of people with a lot of money who will make sure that Manhattan right. is not underwater. Yeah, and they'll we'll, deal with that problem yes. when we get to we'll it. We'll sooner drain the ocean than <laughs> they'll have their, uh, so their brownstones submerged. That's going to be... Okay, Man, Lower Manhattan will not be in New York Harbor. That's not going to be something that's going to happen. So that's... There's a case to be made that we'd be better off to deal with the problems of climate change as they happen than invest a bunch of money in maybe being able to save the solve the problem, but maybe not. You know, so I don't know. I I don't think there's denying that climate change happens and that we contribute to it, but that doesn't answer the question of what should we do to fix it. Right. Completely agree, Alice. Completely agree. Thank you. How did we even get? Discussing this? Uh, because that's part of Buttigieg's job. Oh, Social right, right, right. As a Secretary the of climate. Transportation and solving climate. And the good thing is he'll be in Massachusetts plenty to deal with our broken uh, rail system mm-hmm. and our subway Which we system. just cut dramatically, did we not? Yes, we because did. Because no one's using it. Because they're all at home. <laughs> well, for some reason. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the cops aren't allowed to use it, we know, if they're, you know, cracking down on and looting. <laughs> right. Which is a real thing here in Massachusetts. The MBTA, which is our transportation authority, uh, it decided that police were not allowed to use the system, the transportation system, to stage for uh, protests during Black Lives Matter and the subsequent riots. So that's great. Um, All right. Where are we, Alice? 
Uh, should we get, well, you know, let's hit Tom Cruise really quickly. I've got a problem with this, but now you've probably heard this audio. Tom Cruise lost his bleep on set. I think the background of this is that he is, uh, the, the guys weren't social distancing. The crew wasn't social distancing. Mm-hmm. So he's worried that he, they're going to get shut down. And he lost his friggin' mind. And I, I have, I grew up in a time when you'd have bosses like this. <laughs> and I have no problem with it. I am not. Uh, well, the left loves it. I hope you know. They're all thrilled. The, le- oh, well. the lefties, because he's yelling at people to follow COVID rules. So well, that's they, fine, want but, but him, the way- they want one of him in every store in America, pretty much. But listen to his reasoning. Okay. Between the um, expletives. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. <laughs> and anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their f***ing homes because our industry is shut down. Here, here, Tom Cruise. That is great. He's trying to protect the jobs and the people are losing their homes. I, these are, like, good conservative values, and I appreciate it. Those are good. It would be better if they just weren't getting shut down because... Well, no, absolutely, but but they are, and so he's telling people to step the hell in line so we, we don't screw up a good thing here. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. I, for a guy who's four foot one, he is. <laughs> he does. He is. He can project his voice. Mm-hmm. I've got no problem with that. I, and I like it. I like him. I don't like the beating he's taken in Hollywood because he's the weird one because he's a Scientologist. <laughs> yeah, look in the mirror, Hollywood, California. Scientology is pretty weird. Look in but the mirror, Hollywood, California, where you all want to be famous superstars so people will say they love you. Yeah, you're all <laughs> doing well. Please. And, Scientology uh, is bad for and the I, record. I don't care about what it's is bad. what religion is what or what cult is what. I don't it doesn't I don't care. No Scientologist has ever bothered me. <laughs> and I've got no problem with it. And in fact, a couple of times in one of my jobs working in hotels, we used to have to set up meetings for the Scientologists, mm-hmm. including setting up a chair for L. Ron Hubbard himself, who had been okay. dead decades by then, mm-hmm. uh, in case he showed up. And he's, oh, the that's science- like their version of Elijah coming to the door so that you have to. I guess so. I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Okay. Those. But, but he's, but we would have to set that up. And also it, it, the weird thing was, is that these Scientologists, they drank a bleep load of water. So we'd have to go in there with emergency crews and just fill up more water. Are they just- anti-drinking? I don't know, but they didn't, they didn't, they weren't like, it wasn't a great meeting because they weren't, you they weren't buying a coffee break or a buffet or anything like that. Okay. They just needed chairs and water, and then they'd do whatever they did. <laughs> so uh, beam they, up to their. I have no I, spaceship so, or whatever they do. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't, I don't know what they do. I know they used to have a cool boat at one point in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which seems like that would have been fun. Um, I don't know. You know what? It seems if you, like if the people you're listening that right now and you're get... you're in a cult mm-hmm. and, or, or you have a cult that's offering, um, <laughs> that's looking for people, send the information to me. And let me know um, what's what your program is like. I am open. I'm you looking around. You can join uh, the Jesus Club. I'm looking that around. I'm in, by the way, this want. is um, uh, chauffeur Herfer. 
Grapefruit Heifeweizen Beer, B-I-E-R, um, in case your cult is looking for <laughs> recommendations. But um, I, Alice, I don't know where I am on Jesus. I've uh, got to do a lot of soul searching. Soul searching. What is what is their particular <laughs> uh, offering? Scientologists or Jesus? No, if, with the, for the Christians, what is... That's a long story. I think we should probably take that conversation that offline okay? because I can... <laughs> I'll fill you in later. Okay. Um, okay. So that's Tom Cruise, and we, we celebrate him. Now, what's made me excited today, Alice, mm-hmm. is an incredible interview with... Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Cortez, Alice. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, and she did an, an interview with this guy from The Intercept, a guy named Jeremy Scahill. Do you know him? I don't think I do. He is a true believer. It sounds seems to me that he's probably a democratic socialist or maybe just a socialist as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't be sure. But he certainly bonded with her quickly, and they were talking the talk. And I think this this uh, these cuts we have are very revealing. And among other things, you can see that she is she is. Making the plan to make the plan to make the move. And it starts with, and you may have heard this in the news here, um, it starts with, he asks a great question. Where's all the relief for people? Mm-hmm. And she answers this uh, with a canniness that is going to get her places. Why on earth has the Congress not given more aid to the American people, particularly poor and working people in this country who are suffering during this pandemic. The last round was just a huge boondoggle for corporate interests and businesses. Why has there been no aid forthcoming to the American people right now? You know, honestly, I have been frustrated and heartbroken and very angry trying to figure out the answer to this question. You know, I think on one hand, it's very easy to say that Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party is extraordinarily barbaric, (laughs) which is true. But at the same time, there is still something to be said for the fact that President Trump did want stimulus checks out, and we still even haven't been able to get those. So McConnell will put him aside, she's saying. Mm -hmm. Trump... He's looking to spend money, she's saying. And even in this package that's currently being negotiated, there aren't stimulus checks in the current kind of state of of negotiations. And so why hasn't Congress done this? I think that there is a real lack of urgency. So Scahill, the the interviewer, is smart. He understands Mm -hmm. that leaves one person. You know, (laughs) not mentioned as yet. And so he puts the question to her. Isn't this grounds, though, to take a stand and say, no, I'm sorry, Nancy Pelosi should not be the speaker and Chuck Schumer should not be the leader? Well, you know, I do think that we need new leadership in the Democratic Party. I think one of the things that... It's a bold thing to say. It's not a... Uh, Yeah. Right. Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and her circle, they have the guns and the bayonets pointed out of the circle. Mm-hmm. And they are ready to they Nancy Pelosi picks off Democrats who are 18 steps away from even becoming a threat. When she notices mm-hmm. that they start to look like a threat, she mobilizes. Why do you think Seth Moulton, I think, is 
his career is mm-hmm. like dead in the water. Oh yeah. He no. his presidential run went nowhere. He's never like doing anything interesting in in Washington. You never see him getting any good assignments. He's because he tried to lead a coup against Pelosi. Right. <laughs> that was a non-starter. He is done. And then you look at somebody also in our Massachusetts current congressional delegation here um who I always talk about and uh, people never believe me when I say this. I know I have a friend who is always talking to me about this too. Um, but uh, Catherine Clark mm-hmm. uh, from Melrose in the in the Massachusetts congressional delegation is now the second highest ranking woman in Congress. And and you've never heard her name. Like nobody pays any attention to what Catherine Clark's doing. She's not making any waves. She's not challenging Pelosi. She's not doing interesting interviews with Democratic socialists talking about things she can do. Last time I heard she was getting the Pause Act passed, which was something about caring for pets and stuff. And I mean, literally, mm-hmm. it's the, the most boring career, but she's like, like going to be the next Pelosi. She's a soldier. She's a yeah, Pelosi she's a soldier. loyalist soldier. She shows up when she's supposed to show up. She supports who she's supposed to support. She goes to the right fundraiser. She hangs out with the right people. Mm-hmm. And she absolutely is going to be anointed as the next big thing very soon. To, to use the, the you know mafia um, vernacular even more, you said fundraisers. You're right. She's also a good earner. Oh, and yeah. that is a big part of it. I have struggled with, I think that a lot of people struggle with, is the internal dynamics of the House has made it such that there's very little option for succession, if you will. You know, and I think that... Right, that's because the Pelosi's bath party has gone in there and assassinated <laughs> any possible threat and, you know, uh, deconstructed any kind of burgeoning infrastructure that mm-hmm. would pose a threat. That one could just, I, I think it's easy for someone to say, oh, well, you know, why don't you run? But the house is extraordinarily complex and I'm not ready. <laughs> it can't be me. I know that I couldn't do that job. And so even conservative um, members of the party. She's right. That's a good observation, a good answer. Mm-hmm. She can't do that job. That's not her skill set. She's right. a on-the-ground activist. She's a mobilizer. Mm-hmm. She's a communicator, of course, we know that. But she's not a field general. Who think Nancy Pelosi is far too liberal for them don't necessarily have any viable alternatives, which is why whenever there's a challenge, it kind of collapses. Um, and that is, I think, the result of just many years of power being concentrated in leadership with a lack of, you know, real grooming of a next generation of leadership. And so when you have really talented members of Congress that do come along, the opportunities to lead are so few and far between that they leave. It's a great observation. Yeah. She's right. She sees that where the X's and O's mm-hmm. are. I mean, it's funny because Trump gets criticized a lot for how he wants loyalty from people mm-hmm. and how he's obsessed with loyalty, that he cares way more about loyalty than competence or anything else. Um, so he only wants people that are going to stick by him and support him at all costs, at all times. Right. And um, it's funny because the Democratic leadership is the same way. And AOC is the only person who will call them on it. You know, yeah. Nancy Pelosi is the biggest... You know, she remembers 
uh, of course uh, you know, who who has betrayed her. And she will make sure those people never go anywhere. She is big into loyalty. It's only, I mean, Trump just gets bad PR for it. But, mm-hmm. but the Democrats absolutely run their stuff this way. All you have to see is look at the way and... You know, for their to their credit, the Bernie people were really mad about this and still are. I assume AOC probably is. Look at how right when it looked like Biden was going to be in trouble, all the moderates dropped out of the presidential race and endorsed him. We're going to have she's going to talk about that in a moment. That's here. funny. But um, but as far as those the protectorate around her mm-hmm. goes, remember um, all those people are on the ascendant. It's on the ascent. Ascent. Mm-hmm. Ascendant. Mm-hmm. Ascent. They are ascendant. They are ascendant. They are ascendant. Yes. Um, so that includes, like you said, Catherine Clark. Remember who that also included just a few years ago mm-hmm. from New York, Joe Crowley, mm-hmm. one of her most trusted protectors, capos, captains, was Joe Crowley, who was uh, knifed right. to death by whom? AOC. Right. And it tends to be people in really liberal districts because those are people who aren't vulnerable. They're going to be there a while. You know, it. Crowley had... An insane amount of money in his bank account. Mm-hmm. Uh, AOC beat him, and this is always the right always says this like this is a knock on her. Like she only uh, won that primary with eighteen thousand votes or something, which for a congressional race isn't much because nobody thought that anybody could beat this guy. So it's the really liberal districts. Pelosi's the same way. She's in a really liberal district. She can stay as long as she wants because she's going to kneecap anybody who tries to run at her from the left. <laughs> I mean, forget that. <laughs> but, right. Well, and also with with AOC is, remember in that race, she was insignificant. It didn't matter. It's this girl who's a bartender. Yeah. Without realizing, without Pelosi and Crowley and the people realizing that it's because she was a bartender that people loved her. Right. She was a working person. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, which also, in an odd way, although he's in a different station, is also the populism of Trump for of a lot of the country. So this guy, uh, Scahill, the interviewer for Horse for the Intercept, um, you know, puts a question to her again. Are you ready to say Pelosi and Schumer need to go? I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, and the question is, like this year, for example, the hesitancy that I have is that I... I want to make sure that if we're pointing people in a direction that we have a plan. And my concern, and this I acknowledge as a failing, as something that we need to sort out, is that there isn't a plan. How do we fill that vacuum? Because if you create that vacuum, there are so many nefarious forces at play to fill that vacuum with something even worse. And so... The actual the various forces. This is a, this is a Democrat talking about the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sad state of affairs is that there are folks more conservative than even they are willing to to kind of fill that void. And so, what I'm looking at right now is what steps do we take, both in structural changes, because a lot of this is not just about. These two when she says conservative, she means bad, by yeah. the way. <laughs> personalities, but they are also about the structural shifts that these two personalities have led in their time in leadership. The structural shifts of power in the House, uh, both in process and rule, to concentrate power in party leadership 
for of both parties, frankly, but in Democratic Party leadership to such a degree that an individual member has far less power than they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. We need to to shift power. We need to make sure that we have a transition of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party. You know, because I think that the hypocrisy you point out is so animating. You know, frankly, it's a huge reason why I ran for office and ran against a Democrat, because the that hypocrisy can be just so rage-inducing for any person. You know, for me, personally, it was when I was waitressing, and I would hear Democrats talk about why the Affordable Care Act was so amazing all the time and how this is the greatest thing ever and the economy's doing wonderfully. And frankly, it is the same trick that Trump pulls, which is, you know, people touting the Dow as a measure of economic success when we're all getting killed out here. And so, you know, do we need new leadership of the Democratic Party? Absolutely. But how do we ensure that when we shift, we don't even move further to the right? And that's the kind of thing that keeps me up when I think about what we're going to do moving towards the future. Right. So you hear AOC there, and it's really... um it's telling because it is a lot like Trump. Trump understands this too. The reason w- Trump wanted stimulus checks to go out is because he knows that this makes a real difference to people. He knows what makes people tick in terms of who they vote for and what they care about. Getting a check in the mail is real. AOC knows that because she was a bartender and she was on the ground. She was living with working people. So the self-congratulatory attitude of people on the left who are in you know, these kind of elite circles of academia and Washington and lobbyists and consultants and economists and the important people who are making policy are sitting here and telling you the economy's doing so great. We've done a wonderful job. Our health care package is amazing. But if you can't pay your rent, that doesn't mean anything to you. And and both parties, frankly, have been terrible on this messaging. And AOC understands that. And Trump understands that. Yes. You know, yes. that's what I was just saying before you came back in. Trump understands that. That's why he was so anxious to get the stimulus checks out, because he knows that's real to people, you know, and that's that's what the Democratic Party misses. They're complaining about, you know, who's going to pay for the stimulus checks for regular working people. If you look at the actual numbers of what was proposed when Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley, who's a, a conservative Republican who is working with Bernie Sanders to try and get stimulus checks done, they could send everybody the same amount they got in the spring. And the whole thing would cost $300 billion. And they're talking about a you know, trillion dollar package and 900 billion or a trillion dollar package that doesn't include those because that's too expensive. We can't afford that. Well, you know what? You know, small business loans are great and blah, blah, blah. But that takes time to hit people. You know, the PPP, you have to approve the loans to the businesses. The business has to spend it on payroll. Then they have to pay you you know, for your job, assuming that you still have a job working at the business that is not totally gone by the time this even happens. But, you know, the IRS sends you a check and you get the check. That's and that that you right. can you can pay your bills with that. That's something. Right. And that costs a lot less 
than the PPP program and these other things. It's not as expensive as doing this stuff, and it's not as expensive to administer. The IRS is built at a scale where it is designed to be dealing with 300 million people. The local unemployment office has been backed up, backlogged. Tom and I dealt with this because we had somebody trying to um, file for unemployment under our name, and it took forever to get it taken care of because you would call. The lines were backed up. The system would hang up on you. They didn't just try. Oh, they did. Yeah, they filed they and they succeeded. got like they got like nine hundred bucks a week plus the six hundred bucks a week for if like you're out months. there and you got my money for months. It's all organized crime. It's not like a one off person doing it. They they did it en masse. But the, but even so, even just the people that actually were unemployed, it was too many and it swamps the local unemployment mm-hmm. system because the local unemployment system is only designed to be dealing with, you know, the five percent of people who are normally unemployed <laughs> at any given time. Tell them the story about but the, the, IRS, uh, the second floor people versus the first oh, right but the uh, but the IRS my point was is, is designed at a scale where they do deal with every American already so mm-hmm. they're actually at a scale where they can do this and get it done efficiently these other programs are not as efficient but yeah the um when we were trying to get this thing taken care of with the stupid unemployment office and we would call them st- the, my somebody cashing checks in my name yeah you would call and call and call and call and uh, and eventually you would get somebody so and they wanted to escalate you to tier two because they didn't have the power to do anything. They could put like the fraud flag on the account, but like right. nothing was happening. And it was months were going by and they're like, yep, we put the fraud flag on, but nothing else is happening. We can't tier do anything Tier two were about a higher so ranking they, group of- They always try and transfer you to tier two, right? but tier two- the system hangs up on you when they transfer you to tier two. Tier and you two tell them was that, either swamped go, or dead. <laughs> so you would always go like, okay, because uh, you would tell them your story. You would wait on hold and you would call back and call back and call back. And then eventually you would get somebody who was tier one. And then they would want to transfer you to tier two once they heard what was going on with you. And then they would... Um, transfer you and it would dump you so eventually i got to the point where i would say like don't transfer are you sure you have to transfer me to tier two because i never have been talked to tier two and they said yeah you know this always happens um we always transfer people to tier two and the the calls get dropped and we don't know why there's just too many of the calls that we have to transfer there and there's not enough of them or whatever and the system drops everybody but you know if we do if our whole room of people if we do get somebody to tier two the whole room cheers we're all so excited because eventually you know a few (laughs) times a day we'll get somebody somebody to tier two two. doesn't necessarily mean anything good's gonna happen (laughs) so anyway so that was all this whole thing and you know but that's that's the state unemployment system trying to deal with um a huge unemployment problem that's many, many times bigger than they ever deal with. And so if people are dependent on this type of state administration, the administration right. of loans, administration of unemployment, other benefits from this at state level, first the federal government has to get it to the states and then the states have to, you know, we're all going to be dead here. It's going to be a skeleton waiting on hold with the Office of Unemployment Assistance in every state because... You can't they they don't know how to administer these things at this scale. They can't do it. They're terrible at it. The IRS can actually get people checks and it's way cheaper and it's way more efficient and it actually helps people. You know, I'm not saying that these programs aren't like 
very smart people who know a lot of economics in Washington have all sat down and, you know, they want to incentivize people to work. So it would be better for the people to have jobs. I agree. It would be better for people to have jobs. But right now they already don't. We're already past that point. So they're like, so we'll loan the businesses money, but we'll make a rule that they have to spend it for payroll. So then they'll hire people and then they'll pay them with the payroll <laughs> from the loan. It all yeah. sounds very smart. It sounds very good. But the bottom line is, is that takes a lot more moving parts to actually get to people. And it's better if the government just gets out of the way and lets the money get to the people who need it. Because we are in crisis mode right now. Right. How many people are out of work and how many people are going to be out of work a month from now as you know places, especially in the right. Northeast, are shutting more stuff down every day? Right. And January 1st essentially is the, uh, the start of a... Uh, well, it's not only literally the start of New Year, but for budgets, it's also yeah. a kind of a start of a New Year. And unfortunately... There's going to be a lot of people trying to get to tier two, I think, um, on the phone. <laughs> Good luck to you. Sucks. By the way, local breaking news, Alice. Um, mm -hmm. It looks like it looks like uh, the speaker of the Massachusetts House is leaving. Is this Spilka? Is that who it is? No, uh, Bob DeLeo. Okay. Oh, that's the Senate is Spilka, right? Who's the one that replaced Spilka, Rosenberg? Okay, sorry. Yep. Yeah, I had it mixed up. Bob DeLeo, who actually on lines of what we're talking about here, uh -huh. is for Massachusetts. He's kind of, I wouldn't say Pelosi, he's an old school Democrat. Mm -hmm. So he's not, his town is Winthrop where Trump won, I think. Uh -huh. And and so that means we're losing another moderate right. on Beacon Interesting. Hill. Interesting. And we don't have too many left here in Massachusetts. And if you're from the Northeast, you know how that feels. Um, AOC also is salty about the, the new people joining the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. She is uh, absolutely ticked off. These are it is a hoo hoo. It's not only just retreads, of course, but it's also um, these are a lot of uh, literally McKinsey people. One of them <laughs> just joined today. It's horrible, and I think it's also part of a larger issue that we have right now, which is there's a lot of talk about oh, you know, the the Biden administration is bringing back a lot of Obama appointees, which depending on where you are in the party may sound nice, I guess, but <laughs> I think what a lot of people... She is scorched earth, though. Oh, yeah. She's saying... I mean, she... Obama, for many in the Democratic Party, is not to be t t toyed with. Mm -hmm. You don't disparage him, and she just absolutely has no problem doing it. Fail to remember is that, you know, we've got a... We now have a Biden administration that's bringing back a lot of Obama appointees. But when Obama was making appointments, he was making a lot of he was bringing back a lot of Clinton appointees. There's another another, you know, faction gets both barrels. Another uh, political oh, yeah. family gets both barrels. You want to be a rising star in the Democratic Party and you have now blasted Obama and blasted the Clintons. Oh, you so, just, you, you're like, Pelosi. It's, it's Trumpian. She's blasting yeah. the exact swamp. And so this is not just a revolving door of private industry, but it's a revolving door of just these same people for the last 10, 20, 30 years in a time when this like emerging populism and one of the main reasons, a huge reason why we got Donald Trump in the first place, in addition to just the racism that was waiting to be reanimated in like this country, was just an extreme disdain for this moneyed political establishment that just rules Washington no matter who you seem to elect. 
And it's not just individuals, but it's an ideology and it's a way of doing things. And it's, you know, this hand over fist self-dealing and it's, you know, this continued commitment to foreign wars that, frankly, people all across the political spectrum in the United States are sick of. She's calling the Democrat establishment warmongering hawks. Right. Uh, So Steve Schmidt, she's not going to be calling you up anytime soon, I would say. Do you think that's fair? (laughs) If she's Uh, against self-dealing, warmongering, and the Washington establishment. And, you know, especially when it comes to foreign policy, we're really in an appalling state. You know, this is why we had so many people, you know, rally behind different Democratic nominees. But now the situation is like, what do we do? Because of the fact of the matter is, is that the most conservative, I would say probably the most conservative Democrat in the field is the one that won. Damning. And so, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Steve Schmidt because she's going to go there as well in this one and, and say that everybody's always telling them and telling Democratic voters that you have to vote for guys like Joe Biden. You know, good old fashioned, you know, warmongering credit card company beholden guys like (laughs) Joe Biden. It's not just elected Democrats, but it also seems like the Democratic electorate seems to believe that conservative Democrats are the ones that win. And it's almost as though our electorate is tricking itself. You know, it's like we all know that we want something different, but we're afraid, we're so afraid of losing, or at least we're told that if we indulge what we want, we're going to lose. And so this is an issue that we're going to have to really organize around in terms of an electorate, but then publicly, we're absolutely going to have to resist because there is a consensus and bipartisan consensus in Washington, as much as it is heralded, is almost always around (laughs) Wall Street bailouts, extension of war, mass surveillance. Yeah, as much as it's heralded, she is so street smart. She is so street mm-hmm. smart. It is. I know. Realize. I. I know that she's a clueless ideologue dummy who unfortunately went to has a degree from BU and uh, an, ex- an expensive degree. And so it's. Uh, it you know this. It's made her dumber. I think having gone to BU. I think the bartending years made her smarter. Oh uh, yeah. And but I don't get this thing. And I mean, I assume there are some Republicans who do knock her for being a bartender, although mm-hmm. I don't really know any personally. But, um, you know, people on the left are always like, oh, you hate her because she's a bartender because she's been. I think that's the best part yeah. thing about her. That's absolutely her biggest qualification in my eyes for being in Congress is that she's been a working person. Right. Um, and she's slams the party more because the party just like Joe Biden did, mm-hmm. and all of the talking heads are using the red scare. Red baiting has just intensified uh, throughout these past few electoral cycles. I mean, this has been something that corporate Democrats have always engaged in, but the lengths to which the other candidates for the Democratic nomination went to smear Bernie Sanders. I love this confab here. Mm-hmm. We're having a radical left hate fest about <laughs> the center left, as it were, which isn't really center left anymore either. Digging yeah. up things he said about the Sandinistas in the 80s or uh, taking out of context things that he said about Fidel Castro. And then more recently, oh, don't say defund the police. It's going to offend our Lincoln Project fund, you know, people. And it's like, I- I'm sorry, it was millions and millions 
of leftists in this country held their nose to vote for Joe Biden for president. Mm -hmm. The Lincoln Project didn't sway a single vote. And yet, what do we have? We have a right-wing Democrat in the White House uh, coming up January 20th in Joe Biden. And we have a party that just, I'm sorry, shits on the very people who put them in that position this time. Absolutely. So that's another reason why Steve Schmidt of the Lincoln Project, now declaring (laughs) that he's become a Democrat, does not save him, does not help Steve. They are eviscerating Democrats in this. Oh, yeah. That's who they're coming for. <laughs> they yes, don't care about just, the Republicans. You've changed your military uniform to another enemy's uniform, not the uniform you think you've AOC said more nice things about Trump in this interview so far than she said about Lincoln Project people or And I think or one of the Dems. things that also is just so ugly about this, too, is that, first of all, I think there's a reason why... This red baiting was a much larger feature this time around uh, than it was. I think we know where this is going. It was in 2016, and I think it is because of the emergence of leftists of color in the United States. Uh, there's a very, very long and ugly history of the white established political establishment in the United States red baiting in a particularly ferocious way when it is black. I watch this all day. She wants to call Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi racists. <laughs> Let's watch this firefight. People and people of color that are organizing for popular power and particularly on class issues in the United States. You know, they did it to MLK, who was not a capitalist, was a democratic socialist. They did it to uh, Malcolm X. And there's also just a very rich history of... I think MLK may have been a Republican, although that's maybe perhaps the movement itself. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's... That's one thing I actually... Did you see Steve Schmidt's um, tweets about how uh, he was complaining that the headline said he'd registered Democrat? And he was like, it should say I've registered for the Democratic Party. And you have like disrespected this party, the is the oldest institution in the United States politics today or whatever. I'm like, maybe you don't necessarily want to call back the early history of the Democratic Party right now. It doesn't seem like the most um, (laughs) black democratic socialist organizing in the United States. And all these folks that, you know, we learn about as children in public schools were anti-capitalists. James Baldwin, Ella Baker, MLK, Malcolm X. You know, it's funny because other than MLK, I didn't learn about any of those people in public school. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense that she probably did. Yeah. No, uh, we actually, when I went to public school, Christopher Columbus was a good guy. <laughs> you know, that is not the case anymore. Like, and they saw the writing on the wall of just the social destruction the just chasing of concentrations of capital was bringing and and is bringing to this country. Um, And so when Democrats... That's the BU talking right there. ...start to engage in this red baiting and they engage in this, you know, oh, these protesters are gentrifiers or they're white people, you know, essentially erasing all left activism of color uh, in the United States... They may not know it, or maybe they do know it, but they are also participating in a very ugly legacy of white supremacy. There you go. So I don't know here. Is the enemy of my enemy my friend, Alice? I don't know if we're allowed to like her. I don't know. Um, but... I'm the enemy of the enemy, you. Uh, what? 
maybe that's very profound possibly sally i don't know sally just said is the enemy of the enemy you this political class and this this kind of larger power in the democratic party they need to say they have to blame defund the police because their actual political execution is so sorry and it is so poorly done thanks to a lot of the nepotism in Washington because they're relying on these consultants that are not frankly very performance driven damn straight oh AOC she is sure. absolutely right about that that if they acknowledge that they're the ones who failed then what recourse do they have what claim to authority do they have? So they have to engage in this red baiting. She is a um, dangerous little operator. In <laughs> and I love it. I mean, that, and certainly you can tell that the ideology is, is deep um, and wide and that she's you know, read the playbook. And at this point, they're just staging themselves for whatever action they're going to take. And is she canny enough to take an action? To leverage what uh, power she and her small, well, I mean, she resonates, this ideology resonates, you know, further than the squad, but is there enough of a constituency in Congress for them to do something? I mean, she, though, <laughs> is willing to work with populist Republicans who right. also exist. I mean, look at what she said about working with Josh Hawley and stuff like that, especially I think Trump has opened the door to some of this on the right, um, an idea that you don't need to be a Paul Ryan wonky budget hawk uh, to be in the Republican Party that you can say, you know, relief for working people first before corporations, before businesses. Um, and and that's something that a space that Trump kind of created in the party where you will see, I think, more people running in this mold and more people willing to work with an AOC and saying, I don't care what Mitch McConnell <coughs> says I can do. I don't care who he says I can talk to. And, um, and, you know, even it's interesting to me because you and I both were there kind of in the early Tea Party movement days. We were interested in mm -hmm. conservative stuff that was happening. And, um, you know, a lot of people felt that the Tea Party was a very fiscal movement. Like a lot of people said tea stood for text enough already mm -hmm. and that it was very liberty driven and very um almost libertarian leaning and very anti-spending that that was sort of the big thing and during the Obama years that was messaging that was used a lot but I think that Trump really uh, you know took a lot of that Tea Party energy and channeled it into a place that has nothing to do with that that is not worried about the national debt and is mm -hmm. not worried about the deficits that Washington is running and is not necessarily ideologically against say stimulus checks for american citizens um and right. and that i think that people who believed that that was the the driving force of the tea party that it was really just a bunch of regular people who just really cared about the national debt i think that they were uh you know blind blind to what it really was and what those people really cared about and um, and I think a lot of them are these Obama, Obama, Trump voters, the, the two time Obama mm -hmm. voters who went out and voted for Trump the next time around because they felt, 
you know, this is a person who cares about regular people. And I don't know if in either case they were necessarily correct, but I think those are the type of people who would like to see stimulus checks and don't really care about the other stuff that's in the the stimulus bill. Right. And I think now, in more than ever, since we've been told by our government to self-destruct our lives, mm-hmm. uh, it, the, the, <clears throat> I'm right with them. Yeah, I mean, figure the rest of the stuff out later. We've torched, we've gone scorched earth on our own citizenry. Screw this. I I saw a really great tweet from someone today who said basically, like, this isn't hard, Congress. If you make people's jobs illegal, you have to send them money. Right. That's a deal. You know, and I'm right there with you. I don't think people's jobs should be illegal. I don't think we should be shutting down gyms when it's like 0.00001% of gym visits are resulting in a COVID case. It's ridiculous. Gyms shouldn't be shut down. But if the people... Sorry. If the people who own the gyms aren't allowed to show up at work, then we, we have to do something. You know, if their jobs are illegal, we can't you know, just let them starve. This isn't Marie Antoinette let them eat cake time. So I just got a message just showing that uh, that um, we've got uh, these YouTube comments. And so I t- clicked on it and I'm seeing there's a lively debate going on. Alice, is there some housekeeping that we need to get to before we say goodbye and start shoveling snow? I mean, do you want me to read any uh, news stories or do we care? Or, I don't know. Go ahead. See, what, what do you got there? Um. So, uh, um, Vanity Fair is running a uh, very important piece here. This uh, came out four hours ago. Um, now, I want you to imagine, if you will, Vanity Fair running a, a piece like this about one of Trump's kids if they were under investigation. Okay. Hunter Biden prepares for his first solo art show amid ongoing DOJ investigation. The president-elect's son revealed earlier this year that painting is literally keeping me sane. <laughs> He may have plenty of time for painting in the future. We'll see. Yeah, the tweet says that Hunter Biden isn't letting the Department of Justice ruin his life. The one thing I have left is my art. <laughs> well, and your dad, right? <laughs> and his kids. He has several kids, I believe. Right, yes. Including one recent one. Right. Um, some on the grid, some not so much. <laughs> right. You got a big diamond from the Chinese. I mean, there's that. So, yeah, so he, you've got a place to, uh, well, forget it. So he's in the middle of uh, signing a deal to be represented as an artist by Georges Berger Gallery in New York City with a solo exhibition in the works for next year. According to sources who spoke to Page Six in February, Biden first revealed his artistic aspirations to The New York Times um, for saying for it's literally keeping me sane for years. I wouldn't call myself an artist. Now I feel comfortable saying it. Well, maybe so. we'll own a Biden one day. The venture capitalist turned artist like whose studio do. is in the pool house of his Hollywood Hills home creates his work with a metal straw he uses to blow alcohol ink onto Japanese Yupo paper, creating abstract layers of color and concentric right, circles. Is that the right discipline of artistry <laughs> that he should be involved in? Painting. I don't my, know. I don't know. <laughs> Painting puts me, puts my energy towards something positive. Biden explained, "It keeps me away from people and places where I shouldn't be." He also added, "The one he thing made, uh, care to mention any, by the way, the one thing I have left is my art. It's the one thing they can't take away from me or complete oh, with anything he's a victim. else." He's a victim. This is too good. All right, Alice. All right, this has been the Burn Barrel Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Burn Barrel Pod, Facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast, Parlor at Burn Barrel Podcast. You can go to our YouTube channel that Tom was mentioning. Apparently, there's a lively debate in the comments, so we can take a look at that. Um, it's Tom Shaddock's Burn Barrel on there, like a video. Uh, 
write us a review and subscribe. C'est la vie. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.